0: Father, we just come before You today. We're so blessed as Your people. Lord, we're so privileged to be able to come here to be gathered together as brothers and sisters before You as redeemed people, as people saved by Your grace, as people who are full of iniquity yet covered with Your righteousness, And we're so thankful for that, Lord. We have so much. We have so much, Lord. If we have You, we have everything. And I pray, Lord, that You would open our ears, open our hearts to what Your Holy Spirit has to say. I know through this study, You have definitely hit my heart. And I thank You for that so much. And Lord, just as we talked about earlier with Pastor Ken, Lord, we lift him up before you as a congregation. And we ask, Lord, that he would find his encouragement, his strength in you and in you alone. And you are such a present help in time of need. You never fail. You never fall short of your promises. And we're so grateful for that. And we know that you won't fall short with Pastor Ken. So encourage him where he is. And anybody who may be listening in, Lord, encourage their hearts as well. Open their hearts to what your Spirit has to say we ask. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of the message today is, What Do You Covet? And it's something that the Lord has been pressing upon me probably for the last three weeks. It seems like no matter what song I turn on the radio, maybe a Christian message, it doesn't matter what time of the day, it has something to do with that. And I started asking myself, Lord, why, why am I hearing this? Is this something that you're... Are you trying to get to my heart? And I never planned to be up here today to to preach. It just happened to be that it was a last minute thing. Someone else was supposed to be here today. But I asked the Lord what, what maybe His sheep might need. Um, I know I needed just in a few days of prep. He really hit my heart with it. If you turn to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to begin there, we're going to be in Two main parts of Scripture. But in Genesis chapter 3, it says, "...now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die." For God doth know that in the day you shall eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked." And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Back up in verse 6, that word desired. It's the same word, it's the same Hebrew word as the word covet that you will find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. The tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant. Nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And as you know, it's like love, right? Love is not bad. It's what you love that makes it good or evil. And the same thing with covet. And you're going to find that this word covet is used in many places throughout Scripture. To covet a good thing is not evil to covet something forbidden, is. And I got thinking about that. About good and evil. And about the mixing of it. And the effects of coveting something that is forbidden. There's many places in the Bible where it's had an effect. And and see, the deception is that it only affects me. But as we find with Adam and Eve, it didn't just affect them. You know, that thing that, that was forbidden, they had everything available to them. They had the blessings of God. The favor of God. And they were tempted into that one thing, that one thing that God forbade them. And they coveted. And it was the one thing that was going to eat their life away. It's the one thing that was going to kill them. And, I've, and I started asking myself, what about us today? How does that apply to us today in our society? Maybe in our country. We see the effects of it all throughout Scripture. We see Abimelech, right? Remember Abimelech and Sarah. In fact, Abraham didn't want to bring you know when he he went down to Egypt, but he was fearful that his beautiful wife Sarah was going to be coveted after by Abimelech. And so what did he do? He had to lie to try because of this cut he knew the heart of Abimelech. So that covetousness affected him, and it affected Abimelech. What about Herod? Herod and Herodias. You see, they ended up beheading John the Baptist because Herod coveted a little pleasure. He, he did, he, he felt himself compromised because of Herodias, because of coveting. And I got thinking about this. This 10th this commandment, it's interesting about this because. It's the one command... We know that the Ten Commandments are separated into basically two giant categories, right? The first five dealing with our relationship with God and the second five dealing with man. But if you go through those second five, on a a worldly level, there are consequences. There are penalties, fines, right? Thou shalt not steal. You can go to jail. You can go to jail for thou shalt not murder. Right? If you murder, you're going to go to jail. We have laws even actually on our books in in the cases of adultery in this country. Maybe they're not enforced, but they're there. But there's that one that deals with something that maybe might not have an immediate consequence in a fine or a penalty. And it's that covet. Because it's, it's a secret sin. It's something that is not necessarily seen on the outside. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as it were with a cart rope, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And we see, again, an instance of evil and good. You know, basically what's happening is, is they're, they're drawing in sin. They're attached to it. They're pulling it in by a cart rope, but at the same time, they're saying, oh Lord, hasten your work. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. I mean, because would we be... Are, are we that way? Are we secretly coveting things that are forbidden in our life and then, yet, on the other hand, saying, Lord, come, please come quickly. Because, are you sure? <laughs> you sure? He might come as a thief in the night. And as I'm reading these things, I'm seeing, and, and I'm not, I, I never want to pick on anybody. This is the scriptures. And dealing with the children of Israel, I love the Jewish people. I love the children of Israel. I have a heart for them. I want them to know Jesus more than anything. I do. I want want them to know Jesus. But in Scripture, we see that God has used the examples in times past of what they were going through and why they were going through it for our benefit today. So that we could see see the effects of it and we could learn from it. And what happened was, is Isaiah was, you know, came a little before Jeremiah, um, and Daniel, Daniel's uh, prophecies were piggybacking off of Jeremiah. There was a succession there. But what was happening with the nation of Israel is all those prophets were warning them, warning their own people of the oncoming judgment of God, based on the way they were living their life. And these prophets were being faithful to the Lord by speaking His Word. And what was about to happen in Jeremiah's case was that the Babylonians were about to come in. The people of confusion. In fact, the Bible refers to them as serpents and cockatrices were about to come in. And... God was going to deal with His own people in that way. And so God calls Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7. And it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, and enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt. Wow, to your own hurt. You see the God here. You see the heart of God here. See, you're doing these these things that you're doing, Israel. Are you're you're destroying yourself? They're to your own hurt. He says, "Then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever? Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit." Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? It's interesting. And then he says, Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. He sure has seen it. Do you remember when Jesus overturned the money changers tables in the temple? This was a prediction of that event. And God is saying, I have seen it. In other words, Jesus is right. He, I've seen what I am going I'm going to come and visit you and I'm going to see this. And I was convicted. When I read this, I was cut to the heart. Because in our society today, we take sin very lightly, I think. And I think that sometimes we as Christians, and I'm not speaking for all, but I think some of us can take God's grace very lightly as well. And we can receive God's grace and we can receive His forgiveness. And yet, we could toy around with sin, and the Bible says that can any man play with fire, take fire into their bosom and not be burnt and because it's a because it 's a societal thing, because it 's a cultural thing, we justify it. I heard Dave out here earlier mention about. Some of the things that are on our TVs. Some of the things we see. And it's interesting that we can watch a movie about, you know, the mafia or you know, this gang and this this group, and it's an action movie, and and it's basically what it is, is it's the visible representation of the inward heart of man on screen for everybody to see, and we're thrilled by it. We're like, whoa, wow, did you see that? And yet, we're taking pleasure in the very things on screen that God says is an abomination. And we're all guilty of it. And I, and I started thinking about this. Lord, have I been asleep? Maybe so, but it's interesting. It says they burnt incense, incense to Baal. I don't know if you've ever done your research on Baal. Baal was a Phoenician god. Baal was the lord of the culture, basically. Anything goes. He, the image of Baal was a bull. It was represented by a thunderbolt. Um, the Greeks referred to him as Zeus. The Romans, Jupiter. I know you've heard those names. But the children of Israel over the course of their time has had a very big problem with Baal. Why Baal? Baal was like an anything-goes kind of God. He gave them license. If you do your research on this, and I I really encourage you to do it because it will blow your mind that how openly the American culture worships Baal. I was blown away. And I had to sit before the Lord and say, "Lord, is there am I guilty myself in any way, shape, or form of bowing the knee to Baal?" Remember, remember Joshua when they went into uh, after Jericho, and they went into Ai, and they were getting themselves you know, into a lot of trouble in AI. And Joshua was like, what's going on here? (laughs) What's going on here? Is there, you know, sin in the camp? And do you remember Achan? It's an interesting word. (laughs) An interesting name. (laughs) Oh boy. So... Achan in Joshua chapter 7, he answered Joshua and he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord, God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth. In the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Achan, so the, the children of Israel are getting it handed to him. Joshua's like, What's going on? And we find out that there's sin in the camp. And Achan, see that, that this coveting, this, this wanting something that God had forbidden, didn't just affect himself. It affected everybody in the camp. And here's the deception. Here's the deception. Is see I can I can toy with this little thing. It's it, it it's only affected me. I, I mean, listen, I work hard. I, I could go after this. And and nobody really it's not gonna affect anybody. You know, it could be a costly toy, you know, it could be you know, I say a man's toy his car, you know, or whatever, his man cave, his TV, his phone. And I, I can go off and I can, I can get this thing. It's not going to cause any problems. You know, and, and meanwhile, well, dad is, you know, going off and coveting this thing and, and on his phone. And see, then his kids are over there in the corner being ignored And his wife is over here being ignored because he's he's gotta go after this thing that is dragging his attention away. But it's only affecting me, you see. And then over time the relationships start to sever. And see the kids start to see a pattern from mom and dad. Mom, it's okay. Mom and dad are going after these things, they're buying these things. They're, they're, in fact, they're giving me all these good things too. I'm, I'm benefiting from all of this. Right? And before, not before long, a pattern has developed into the kids, in the culture. And see, I can and even in the church, you see, I can go off and, and I can secretly covet after things that are forbidden. And it 's not going to affect anything else. I worked hard all week, right? I made a thousand dollars this week. you know not me personally i 'm just saying <laughs> I wish I made a thousand dollars. No, just kidding um, and and I want this thing, but i don 't quite have enough to get it, and so here 's what i 'm going to do is i 'm. I'm gonna cut. I I need that thing. I need that thing. I can't let it go. It's on an auction. I gotta get it now. If I don't get it, someone else is gonna get it, and I have to get it. And so uh, I'm gonna take out my plastic, my plastic card, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go after it. And I get it. And I get it home. And, And then I lose, I lose my job. Or the car breaks down. And all of a sudden, I I need to take care of some needs in my life. And now I don't have enough. And see, that one thing that I coveted, like Adam and Eve, that one thing that I had to have, is going to be the very thing that takes me down in my family. Because, see, now I can't... That thing I wanted so much, now I can't afford to pay for the things I need for my family. But I, but it was only going to affect me, you see. And spiritually, it could be the same way, guys. Now, again, this word coveted, it's the same word. It appears throughout Scripture a lot. And you're going to be amazed. I I hope to teach you something today about this. If you guys ever do word studies, it'll it'll bless you. Because it'll make you dig deeper. And the deeper deeper you dig, the more you're going to find. You know, and Israel was, was going through this right now, and God was saying, you know, right in the camp, right under your tent, you've brought Baal. And is a form of worship in the temple. And I wonder if we're guilty of that. Remember, Jesus said, You're the temple of the living God. For I dwell in you. And do we come before God is in the temple? Uh, God, you're you're here in the temple, but, but make room for Baal. Make room for the culture. Because see, it's not our fault. We were born into the it's the American culture. See, and what happens is, 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 is the deception is is because it becomes culture, then it becomes justifiable. And we can make our economic systems support our Baal worship because we have to have it. And if we don't stop spending, our economy's going to collapse and oh my gosh, we're, we're going to be left with nothing because we've put our trust in Baal and not God. Now it's interesting, like I said, Baal was also associated with the rain. Like it was a thunderbolt, right? Thunderstorms, rain. And it's interesting enough that back and forth, the nation of Israel would be, depending on their judge or their king, right? One would get rid of the Baal worship. One would bring it back. And they'd go back and forth. And it's like, because they, they gave credence that you know we're going to worship Jehovah, but now the rain's not coming. See, the money's not flowing. And things are starting to dry up. And now this whole following Jesus stuff is really not benefiting us financially. So now, now instead of being faithful and still faithful to God, I'm not doing this church thing anymore. I'm not following this Jesus anymore because you see, I'm not getting any money out of it. I'm not getting any benefit. So now I'm going to go back into the world you see, to when the rain, where the rain's going to start to flow again, and if you remember um, Elijah with Ahab and Jezebel, how there was where Elijah says, "You know what? Fine, let's see how powerful Baal is compared to Jehovah." Remember, and he threw the water on the fire and said, "We'll see." You know. God lit it right up to prove that Jehovah is the true and the living God and not Baal. But you see, Elijah was like, Am I the only one? Am I the only one that will stand for you? And remember, he was in the cave and and everything. And God says, No, I've got 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Where are they? That might have been his thought, right? We're, we're, I'm looking at this culture all around me, and who's really sold out to the Lord? In 1 John chapter 2, sorry, in Isaiah 44.9, it says, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. That word delectable things is the same word as covet. See, what, what those things that we're putting our faith and trust in, see, they're not going to profit you in the long run. And it says, And they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know that they may be ashamed. It's interesting the things that we put our time and effort to, when, when push comes to shove and we really need something, we need something to, fulfill the, to, to fill the void, those things can't do it. They're temporal. They're never meant to do it but we convince ourselves that we need it. 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 15-17 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, and the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. That word lust all throughout that is covet. It's interesting how he says the, the coveting the flesh, coveting fulfilling the lust of your eyes, he goes even lust itself, even that covet, that's going, that's going to pass away. That's going to be burned away. It's all going to be gone but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. I have got good news, though. (laughs) It's interesting, though, just to backtrack on this one little point. He says that if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see how clear-cut he makes it? Like how black and white? So we're either... Of our Father in heaven, or were of the Father of lies. Satan. The one way back in the beginning who what? Tempted Adam and Eve, tried to get them to disobey God. Because that fruit was something to be desired, coveted after. But did you know that coveting can be a good thing? Yes. Coveting could be a good thing. I've got your attention now. Everybody's like, what? Coveting is good? I know if you said that, I remember growing up in the Catholic church, if uh, you said that, you'd be like, what? Thou shalt not covet. But coveting is a good, good thing. In Psalm 19, verse 10, it says, well, based on the previous verse, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. That were desired there. It's covet. Moreover, by them as thy servant warned. In keeping of them there is a great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse uh, 20, it says, There is treasure to be desired. That word desired is covet. Same word used back in Genesis. Same exact word. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like C-H-A-M-A-D, like chamad, chamad. Maybe that's how they pronounce it. There is treasure to be coveted or desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. What does that make you think of? Oil in the Scripture is a representation of the Holy Spirit. You remember the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 about five wise virgins that took oil in their vessels and five that did not? But it says, but a foolish man spends it up. He that follows after righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. It's interesting if we look at what we really desire in this life. I mean, that that is really the crux of it. You think about it, what do you desire? Do you desire things or do you desire Jesus? Do you desire love? Do you desire fellowship? Relationship? Depth? Or those things that want us that are temporal that do nothing but separate us? Not only from God, and even I mean not that they separate, but because nothing can separate us from His love because He keeps coming after us and He keeps provoking us with His Spirit, right? But we, we separate ourselves by what we desire, what we go after. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, "...for He," referring to Jesus shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. Covet Him. You mean covet's a good thing? Yeah. Do we covet Him? But it says here that He had no beauty that we should desire Him. You think about living the Christian life in this present world, in this present culture. Boy, if you're really living for Jesus, you're going to stand out. You will stand out. And it might not feel good. You might stand out in the way that you might not think. You might stand out like the Elijahs. You might stand out like the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs. Even in your own church, when you're living for the Lord, and and there is a conviction in your life and that people that you thought loved you don't want to hang around you anymore what can we do Colossians chapter 3 says if you then be risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things' sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. You see, in your old self, this, this, was, uh, this was reminiscent of the old man. These were things that by nature we did. Now he's talking to the Colossians, saying, We need to yield ourselves over to Christ. To mortify, mortify means what? Put to death. Remember how Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. That word concupiscence there is the same word uh, as lust. And it lists, lust, it separates them there and says lust and covetousness, but then says, which is idolatry. We don't like to look at covetousness in our society as idolatry. We like to keep idolatry as a statue on a shelf that people, I can't believe people, bow down to some statue. How foolish. Which it is. But this is what he says is idolatry. For which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. In the past, in the which you also walked sometime. In other words, the, the point is, is You shouldn't be walking that way anymore. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit. See, here's the thing. We can't do this in our own flesh. We can't conquer the flesh by the flesh. We can't conquer the flesh by religion, by our works. A change has to happen. We need to be crucified with Christ and then risen again in newness of life And we need to be filled with His Holy Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are these. These are manifested, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. There's that word again. Now I got something really cool to show you. I hope you're still with me. I hope you haven't fallen asleep. Because how, how many of us are guilty of just being like You know, I'll never forget Pastor's to me one of his most memorable sermons. I think he titled it Squirrel. Remember that one? Where he's like, Squirrel and you know, he got distracted and because this is how we are. You know? We're walking with Christ and we can fall like David. We can sort of fall battle weary and I just I don't know if I have the strength anymore. And it's when you're in that weakness that all of a sudden you have a squirrel moment, like, What what was that? And all of a sudden you see if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in, in the newness of life, you're starting to go after these things that are going to kill you. And they will kill you. They will kill your spirit. They will kill your hope. They will kill your countenance. And eventually, just as James says, sin conceived in the heart, it reveals itself in the flesh, and it will bring forth death. God is not mocked that which a man sows he shall also reap, but I got good news. this is really cool. The same word that we saw in Genesis chapter three, verse six, where it says, "Where it was coveted, the same word used here in Daniel. I'm going to read three verses in Daniel, separate verses, but I want you to pay attention to the word. Beloved. Because that word beloved in the book of Daniel is the same word as coveted. Amazing. Listen to this. At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment came... This is Daniel 9.23. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. God says, Daniel, you're coveted after. Now it was, I think, Gabriel that gave him that, speaking that he was beloved by God. And in Daniel 10.11, it says, And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, greatly beloved, Greatly coveted. Did you know God covets you? And He says, you're greatly beloved. That word means coveted. I desire you. I'm going after you. Understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when He had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. You asked my wife, I said, you know, I've never, I've never doubted what Jesus can do in my life, in a, in a sense. I mean, we've all doubted. I'm not saying I've never doubted. But I know the power of Jesus Christ in my life. And I'm, I'm the first one to question my own strength and what I can do. I, I doubt in myself. I, I would probably be, if I were one of the disciples, I'd probably be Thomas. But um, but for the first time in a long time as I'm studying this to, to, to try to feed you today, I was trembling because there's a lot that I know I need to change. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 19, it says, And said, Oh man, greatly beloved, there it is again, It's the same word as covet. You could look it up yourself. Fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong. Yes, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Isn't it interesting when the Lord speaks and we hear his word, we find strength in him? Why? Because he loves you. He covets you. We're going to end with this verse. Remember back in the New Testament I referenced Colossians and Galatians and that word lust came up over and over again. If you aren't convinced as an American citizen that our culture has a lust problem, then maybe we all need some contacts and glasses and new hearts because it's obvious, right? It's obvious. But that same word lust in the negative connotation in the new testament check out this verse this is going to blow you away luke chapter 22:15 this is what jesus said and he said unto them with desire it's the same word as lust i have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Can you imagine? I have coveted to eat with you before I suffer for you. That is my desire. Remember Paul's desire? My heart and prayer to God? My desire for Israel is that they'd be saved. Look at the desire, the covetousness, the good covetousness of God towards his people, that he desires them to the point that he says, You are highly, greatly beloved. You are greatly coveted. And after I was done with this study, I was, I'm like woe is me. I'm undone. I am undone because, uh, to be honest, I need to apprehend that kind of love in my life, soul, and it should be that kind of love. Remember, Jesus first loved us, and we love Him but it's because He first loved us, that that should be enough to grab our hearts to continue desiring Him. And stop allowing the things of this world to vie for our attention. Remember, God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He never said, Be ye happy, for I am happy. And see, the the, the gods of this world and Baal, the false prophets of this world, will tell you, you just want, I just want you to be happy. You need to have self-realization and make yourself happy. That's, that's the lie of Satan in the garden. No, God wants you to be holy as He is holy. And that's where we're going to find true happiness. I want to read this last quote to you. This is from Abraham Lincoln. March 30th. 1863, he spoke this nationally, okay? It was from a National Day of Fasting, Humiliation, and Prayer, Proclamation, March 30, 1863. A lot of you might have heard this. He says this to the American people in 1863. It blows my mind. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. That was in 1863, and look where we are now. And again, so easy to be born into a culture that things are just there, available. This isn't life. This is normal, right? No, it isn't. It's not normal. It's not normal. It's not normal to go after other gods. It's not normal to give license to pleasure that's forbidden by God or out of God's context, whether it be of marriage whether it be a fellowship of believers. Father. Forgive us, Lord. We 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 definitely have sinned against you. There's no doubt. Lord, if it wasn't for your gracious Son, we would be lost forever. We thank you so much for the grace that saves us, that, the, that it came through such a great price, the precious blood of Christ. Lord Jesus, we have everything in the world to live for, living Unto you and having you live in us and through us. We are not lacking in anything. If we have you, we have enough. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would be people committed to you, people that would live holy lives. Lord, that I would live holy unto you, that we wouldn't be drawn away by the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. What you tell us is idolatry. Lord, I don't want to make the same mistake. I don't want to take advantage of Your grace. I don't want to take Your grace as a light thing in my life. And I pray that none of us here would as well. Lord, that we would be a people pleasing to You. And Lord, the fact that You tell us that You covet us so much, that You love us so much that You were willing to leave the splendor of heaven and be nailed to a cross for our sins. Help me, help me apprehend that great love, Lord. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Let us leave here with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You've made a promise to us. You said, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled, Lord, and you cannot lie. And so let us leave here today hungering for more of you, thirsting for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.